If you have your Bibles with you today or a phone uh, or the Bible in the pew there in front of you, I want to encourage you to actually go to two places today. And the first one is Jeremiah 28. Uh, So go ahead and find that, then mark your place. And then also, I want you to go to Deuteronomy chapter 30. So go to Jeremiah 28 first, then mark that, then go to Deuteronomy 30, because that's where we're going to start, is with that specific chapter in the fifth book of the Bible, okay? And so while you're headed there, I want to take a moment to just pray over this message today, and then we're going to get right into the Word together. So would you pray with me uh, over this time together? Father, thank you for this time that we're going to spend in your Word, and I know you speak to us through the Scriptures And so, Lord, I pray that this would just be an anointed time where you are ministering to each of our hearts and lives. And, Lord, that we're not just taking these things in just by listening, but there's things that are sinking into our heart and that are going to cause us to apply. And, Lord, transformation. We desire you to come and work on us while we are spending this time in your word. And, Father, I'm asking that you would use me to communicate well what it is that you desire to have said today. Please bless this time in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Starting with Deuteronomy chapter 30, I just want to establish something, just an understanding of what is called the Old Covenant. This would be something that you would see throughout the Old Testament, but I want to make sure we have a very clear understanding of what the Old Covenant was as it was given to the nation of Israel. And you're going to hear this right here in Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 through 18. It says, Now listen, today I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep His commands, His decrees, and His regulations by walking in His ways. And if you do this, if you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you are about to enter and occupy. But if your hearts turn away and you refuse to listen, and if you are drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now, that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long, good life in the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. So I think it's important to lay the groundwork there with Deuteronomy 30, understanding the Old Covenant. There was a covenant that was given to them that had some things attached to it, and that being the people's obedience. If you do what God is asking you to do, it will go well with you. But if you begin to disobey God, even bringing in other gods to worship, it is not going to go well. Okay? So with that groundwork laid, let's move now to Jeremiah 28. I need to lay a little bit more groundwork before we begin reading this chapter. Jeremiah's writings in chapters 1 through 24 primarily take place before this nation was going to be taken captive and exiled out of the promised land, this land that God had called them 
2, and these writings were writings of warnings, similar to what had been communicated to them all the way back there when they were released out of Egypt. His warnings were very similar. Don't worship all these false gods. Quit with the rebellion. Get your heart right with the Lord. Judgment is coming. And in Jeremiah 25, Jeremiah warns that this Babylonian king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, he'll be coming to take these people into captivity. He warns other nations about this, and he also warns God's chosen nation and tells them that they would be in captivity for 70 years. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar did invade, and the king of Judah at that time, his name was Jehoiakim, and when this invasion took place, he then swears allegiance to Nebuchadnezzar, and he becomes what's known as a vassal king, V-A-S-S-A-L, vassal king, which is essentially meaning that king comes under the rule of another king, and so to a certain degree, King Nebuchadnezzar has rule over God's nation because this king of Judah gave them that rule. Well, when King Jehoiakim passes away, his son, Jehoiachin, he becomes king, but it only lasts for three months, very short reign. And the reason why, King Nebuchadnezzar didn't like him. He actually removes him from his position, and King Nebuchadnezzar places a king by the name of Zedekiah in his place. And at one point in all these different attacks and Nebuchadnezzar's rule and influence in this nation, he actually has a moment where he removes items from God's temple. Okay, so that's a little bit of a context, background, as we get ready to enter in to Jeremiah 28. And Jeremiah was trying to tell people in chapter 27 that they should serve the king of Babylon because this is God's judgment. I tried to tell you over and over and over again, you did not listen, and I'm telling you right now, because you did not listen, this is God's judgment for you, and it will last for 70 years. And to some degree, he was encouraging people, it's probably something you should build a home when you're over there in captivity because you're going to be there a while. I mean, 70 years is not a short stay. Like, we'll just rent something for that long or what have you. I mean, he's telling people you're probably going to want to settle down because this is God's will for you right now because you did not listen. This is a judgment that he's carrying out. And so while all that's taking place, this judgment comes as a consequence of the old covenant relationship that God had with his people. Remember, if you obey me and you make me your God, it will go well with you. I will bless you. But if you do not obey me, it won't go well for you. There will be judgment. And they had been warned time and time and time again, and they still did things in their own way. And God said, well, judgment's coming. And once that was sealed, that's what was going to happen. There was no getting out of that 70 years of captivity. Now, Jeremiah, who's a prophet speaking on behalf of God, in Jeremiah 27, God specifically tells him to preach with something on. And he tells Jeremiah, I want you to get a yoke 
just like what we would put on animals. Now, I know this isn't specifically a big old yoke with the wood, you know, and things like that, but for visual purposes, this is what we have today. And uh, so imagine the prophet putting this over his head and preaching to people and trying to tell them the king of Babylon is going to have you in captivity and this is God's will for you because you did not listen. You didn't take my warnings seriously. And now that judgment is here, you will wear this yoke for 70 years. But in the midst of that preaching, there were these false teachers, sorcerers, all these different people who were trying to tell them, that ain't going to happen, you know. Don't listen to that. We'll be back. We'll be back to our place after a few, you know. I mean, this will be temporary, right? And so here in chapter 8, there's actually a confrontation that takes place where Jeremiah is in this public setting, and there's another guy by the name of Hananiah who comes in, and tries to tell people that what Jeremiah is saying isn't the truth. And he says, what I'm telling you is actually the truth. And so just for a little bit of context, that's where we're at here with this particular chapter. As we get ready to read, I think it's important to kind of set the stage so we can kind of enter into the story. So Jeremiah 28, starting in verse 1. It says, one day in late summer of that same year, the fourth year of the reign of King Zedekiah, that is the king that Nebuchadnezzar put into place, he's now been reigning for four years. So we're a good four years into the things that have been going on with Babylon. Okay? And it says, Hananiah, son of Azer, a prophet from Gibeon, addressed me publicly in the temple while all the priests and the people listen. So there's an audience here as Hananiah comes up to Jeremiah. And Hananiah says, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. I will remove the yoke of the king of Babylon from your necks. He says, Within two years... I will bring back all the temple treasures that King Nebuchadnezzar carried off to Babylon. And I will bring back Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the other captives that were taken to Babylon. I will surely break the yoke of that king of Babylon has put upon your necks. I, the Lord, have spoken." Well, Jeremiah responded to Hananiah as they stood in front of all the priests and people at the temple. He said, Amen. May your prophecies come true. I hope the Lord does everything that you say. I hope he does bring back from Babylon the treasures of this temple and all the captives. But listen now to the solemn words I speak to you in the presence of all these people. The ancient prophets who preceded you and me spoke against many nations, always warning of war, disaster, and disease. So a prophet who predicts peace must show he is right. Only when his predictions come true can we know that he is really from the Lord. Well, then Hananiah the prophet took the yoke off of Jeremiah's neck and he broke it into pieces. And he doubles down. Verse 11, he says to the crowd that's gathered, 
This is what the Lord says. Just as this yoke has been broken within two years, I will break the yoke of oppression from all the nations now subject to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And with that, Jeremiah left the temple area. Well, soon after this confrontation with Hananiah, the Lord gave this message to Jeremiah. Go and tell Hananiah, this is what the Lord says. You have broken a wooden yoke, but you've replaced it with a yoke of iron. The Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says, I have put a yoke of iron on the necks of all these nations, forcing them into slavery under King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. I have put everything, even the wild animals, under his control. So now he goes back to Hananiah and confronts him. Here in verse 15. Jeremiah the prophet says to Hananiah, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, but the people believe your lies. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. You must die. Your life will end this very year because you've rebelled against the Lord. And two months later, the prophet Hananiah died. That's where we'll close the the chapter here. And we're going to walk through a variety of things here today. One of the major points in this passage is the difference between false teaching and prophecy and true and genuine ministry. There's clearly lies and deceit going on from Satan, the enemy, even back at this time, just as he's active today. Jeremiah was speaking truth to these people, even though it was hard for them to hear. It's still truth. Hananiah was speaking falsely and trying to tickle people's ears with this demonic deception. Jeremiah was predicting 70 years of judgment, and Hananiah was predicting around, like, short of seven years. They were already four years into it, and he said, there's two more. Which one seems a little bit better than the other? Take the one that's got the tenth of the sentence, if you will. That's what people wanted. Jeremiah spoke the truth, but it was unpopular. And Hananiah spoke lies, and his deceitful words brought false hope and comfort to the people. Even Jeremiah You could tell he kind of wanted what Hananiah said would happen. He's like, amen to that. I mean, I hope the Lord does this. But then you see him kind of pull back and go, but there's just a check in my spirit about what you're saying. Jeremiah wanted these people to love God, and I believe Hananiah wanted people to love him. Our memory verse for the week is 2 Timothy 4, 3, addressing these things for us here today. That there's a time coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, even when it's hard to hear. Even when it goes against the grain of our culture. I mean, you know right now in our culture the word just confronts a lot of things. And when it's confronted, the world does not like that. They say the scriptures are outdated. God doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, get with the times. But look, it says people try to suit their own desires and they'll gather around them a great number of teachers 
who will say what their itching ears want to hear. I think we're living in that day right now, and I think this is a tactic of the enemy. Let's just give the people what they want to hear. And as long as I can keep them from having heart transformation, I'm winning. I'll make them feel like they had a a good word from the Lord or some kind of encouraging message, and then nothing actually changed in their life. The enemy loves that. We live in a culture that has exchanged God's truth for lies and deception. There's a tolerance for sin and unbiblical teaching, and it's increasing each and every day. I want to just make a major point here. Satan uses lies, making people think that they're secure in their circumstances. There is no need to change. I'm, I'm okay. I'm good. I'm a good person. I, I don't need to make these changes. Or, or maybe he'll even cause, well, someday I'll make the change. But yet they're still stuck in this rut, and they're not going anywhere Satan keeps people comfortable enough with worldly things so that they become ineffective for God and possibly even living a life of ease that's on a journey toward the fires of hell. It's not something to be playing around with. This is serious business. And Satan knows this, so he tickles our ears and we go off into this deceptive teaching when God's word is true even though it might at times be painful to hear the message title is the painful truth has there ever been a moment in your life where God's word just cut you to the heart and you knew you needed to repent thank God for the Holy Spirit's guidance in that we need that even when it's hard even when it's difficult So as we continue on here, just addressing some of the false teaching and things like that, I just want to take a moment to address uh, these three words, God told me. Okay? Please be careful with those three words. I mean, well-meaning, Bible-believing, God-fearing people can say, God told me, and then, like, that's a rubber stamp. Then they say something, and then what happens when there's inaccuracies with that statement? We have to be very careful with this. In verse 2, Hananiah comes in, and he says, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Okay? To sum that up, Hananiah walks in and says, God told me, and then releases this false statement. We have to be careful with this. You can lose credibility when you swing that around without being serious. You can lose credibility with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. You can actually wound them. And for those who are not yet believers and you speak like that, it can actually turn them away from God if whatever you said doesn't actually happen. Please be careful with those three words God told me. I've been encouraged to say things maybe a slightly different way. You know, to leave room for the fact that you and I can be wrong, right? We can hear wrong. We can get it wrong. And so instead of just coming in and saying, God told me this or that, maybe we can say things like, I believe that 
the Lord has placed a strong impression upon my heart, and he may be telling me this. It leaves room for grace, doesn't it? I don't know, how many of you have ever gotten anything wrong before? I know I have. I need that, need this warning. We don't just say, God told me. Or another way to say it is, I have a sense that maybe God is telling me this. But to be bold and just like Hananiah, bust through the doors. God said, da-da-da, but it's inaccurate. We need to be careful with that. False religious leaders often predict God's unconditional blessings because it's what people want to hear. Well, in the process, they overlook the need for repentance and holy living. These are necessities, and they often don't appeal to people. False prophets speak just enough truth to make their message sound good, which is why the scriptures tell us to test the spirits. So I want to look at that verse in 1 John 4, verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many, many false prophets have gone out into the world. And there are many false prophets who are out there in our day and age. And so we must test them. The Bible says that Satan has the power to present himself as an angel of light. He's very sneaky. He can kind of cover some things up with some truth and we jump in and then it's actually something that was totally wrong. And so it's important for us to make sure there's a depth to our walk with Christ that we don't just fall for everything. So here's a few things that we can do to test false teaching. The first one is discern the message. Discern the message. And I just give you very clear instructions. Discern every message that I give. Don't just take my word for it. You get into the word. You, you search it. Did, did Pastor Russ say that right? And I'm telling you right now, in 10 years of pastoral ministries, there's times I've just said stuff wrong. I've made mistakes. If you expect perfection up here, then let's all sit down and Christ will preach the message. And I would love that. But the reality of it is you have a fallen pastor who tries to do his best. But there's times I'm not going to fully be able to do that. You have to know what the Word says. And I'm accountable for how I teach. The Scripture is very clear on that. And it is my heart to make sure I'm doing that in an accurate way. But you have to know the Word. You have to discern the message. So oftentimes people can cherry-pick verses and, and take them completely out of context. And zing them at me. Just kind of lighthearted here. I'll do a couple of them for you so you know what I'm talking about. Did you know that Joshua had a motorcycle? In Joshua 6.27, it says the roar of Joshua's triumph was heard throughout the land. <laughs> Did you know that the car manufacturer Honda existed at the time that Jesus walked the earth? 
Because in Acts 2, verse 1, the Bible says that on the day of Pentecost, the disciples were all together in one accord. <laughs> Just because someone uses God's word does not mean that the interpretation is accurate. That's a lighthearted kind of ingest way to show you what I'm talking about. But let's go a little bit deeper on this. What do the scriptures really say? So when Jeremiah and Hananiah have this confrontation, and Jeremiah says, I wish this was true, Hananiah, but let me just give you some solemn words here about what God's word has said in the past. So we see that in verses 7 and 8. He, he goes back, he says, let's, just, let's understand what the word says. Let's compare that with what you're saying. Same thing happened to Jesus when he's being tempted by Satan. And Satan comes to him and starts bringing him scripture. Satan knows scripture. He's giving scripture to Jesus, trying to get him to sin. What a method. Using the scripture to get someone to sin. But Jesus, each time... He's tempted by Satan with these passages. Jesus replies to him, it is written. He combats it with a deeper understanding of what the word actually says. It is written. The next time it happens, Jesus goes, it is written. The next time it happens, Jesus says, it is written. It's important to know God's word. What do the scriptures really say? So when these moments come along, we can truly discern the message. Is this truth or is it not truth? And I just want to tell you, there's a responsibility you have to take to do these things. You have to put in the time in the word of God. You have to do the study. If you don't do that, you will just be tossed around by any little scripture people post out on Facebook or anything like that. What do the scriptures really say? Another thing to point out is just simply this question. Are there accurate prophetic predictions? Verse 9 in this passage, Jeremiah says, A prophet who predicts peace must show that he is right. Only when his predictions come true can you know that he is really from the Lord. And if I back us back into Deuteronomy again in chapter 18, verses 21 through 22, this will be on the screen. It says, but you may wonder, how will we know whether or not a prophecy is actually from the Lord? Verse 22, if the prophet speaks in the Lord's name, but his prediction does not happen or come true, you'll know that that message was not from the Lord. That's clear. I mean, crystal clear. If what they're predicting is not happening to a certain degree, it's like, it, I'm going to move on. I'm not necessarily going to give them a whole lot of time to speak into my life. During the whole COVID crisis, I'm just going to be straight up with you. There was a gentleman on the Internet who was speaking a lot of different things, making a lot of different predictions. And as I'm a pastor trying to shepherd through that crazy time, I, I'm like, I'm listening. Some of the things he was saying, it's like, I mean, could we be in these things right now? Could we not be in these things? 
And it was one of those things where it's like, if I'm going to shepherd our congregation through this stuff, I need to know what this guy's saying. So I got right down to it. I'm like pausing the video every five seconds and just typing out, this is what he says is going to happen. This is what he says is going to happen. And I'm like, if these things do not happen, then I'm done with the guy. But if these things do happen, I'm going to keep tuning in. And when these things were not happening, I said, I'm done. But we have to put in the effort to test the spirits to see if it's truly of the Lord. And if we don't do that, we'll just get really excited about things. And then all of a sudden, we're on to the next thing that really excites us. We have to use discernment. A true prophet's predictions always come true, and his words never contradict previous revelation. On a personal note, I've shared this with you before as a congregation, but for Brady and I, for years, we were wanting a child, and somebody spoke over us in prayer when we were done with prayer. We broke off the prayer, everybody was walking away, and he came up to me and he said, Russ, two months. And two months later, Brady was pregnant. That was a prophetic word that was spoken to us. There was no wishy-washy with that. You know, even in Jeremiah's prophetic word to Hananiah of judgment, he goes, in the next year, you're going to die. And two months later, he dies. A true prophet's predictions will come true. And this friend of ours that, that spoke over us in that way, he's not labeled as a prophet the Holy Spirit in the gift of prophecy moved upon him and he spoke that word over us because the Lord led him to do so. We have to be led by the Lord in those moments. Let's move on to the next thing. Discerning the person's motives. Bottom line, who does their teaching glorify? Themselves or the Lord? Who does their message glorify. True teachers will honor Christ. They'll lead people in spiritual growth and holiness. They'll evangelize the lost. They'll proclaim and defend truth. What's their motives? This last part here is discern the person's life. This one's pretty straightforward. Are they the real deal? Like when you see them at church, are they same, the same there as they are in the grocery store? or at the gas station, or at the ball game, or wherever, are they the same, are they the real deal? Every venue. People reproduce what they are. We ought to practice what we preach. And there should be fruit in that person's life. You can see a genuineness to their ministry. And the other thing is, a genuineness to someone's life stands the test of time. A person with ungodly character will eventually show the fruit of ungodliness. Time will reveal the speaker's heart, that is their character, their ministry, whether or not it's genuine, as well as their predictions, if there's a prophetic nature to the person's ministry. Time will reveal whether or not they actually are a prophet. You know, 14 times Jesus warned his disciples to watch out for leaders who would twist the truth and mislead people. And that spirit that existed over these Pharisees and Sadducees, it was a spirit of false teaching. This same spirit was on Hananiah. 
and was on these Old Testament individuals who were false teaching. And this same spirit is active in our world today. And there's a serious judgment for false teachers. We see that judgment take place here with Hananiah. And God is very serious about people who misrepresent him. There is a judgment that will come. So we started with the old covenant. And I want to end now with the new covenant. A couple of passages here. I actually... Uh, brought Jeremiah 31 into the end of last week's message when I had the heart of stone and then I had the heart of flesh and I said Jeremiah was predicting this day of the new covenant where there would be this heart of flesh. With that in view, I'm going to read from Jeremiah 31 about this new covenant that God brings. It says, The day is coming when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors. Remember, we started with that in Deuteronomy 30. He says, when I took them out by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt, they broke that covenant, though I love them as a husband loves his wife. But this is the new covenant that I make with the people of Israel after those days. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write upon their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know God, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. That's the new covenant that's coming and is here right now for each one of us. So back to this yoke that God asked Jeremiah to put on and preach to the people. The judgment that was on them, this was God's desire for them. Seventy years you will wear this yoke because of how things went down with my old covenant. But there's a new covenant that's coming and is here now, and it comes through Jesus Christ. Jesus came to this earth to pay the penalty and the price for our sin. He took that upon the cross, and he paid for it in full. And his resurrection proves that that payment is genuine and it's full. It's the real deal. Jesus can cover our sin, but we we have him restore our life. We come to him, ask for forgiveness, and that he would transform our lives. And the new covenant can be a reality in your life. And Jesus himself said in Matthew 11, when he's calling people into a relationship with him, see, it was God's desire for the people to wear the yoke. That was his will to be under the captivity of Babylon because of the old covenant. In the new covenant, it's God's desire for us to put on a different yoke. And this yoke comes as an invitation from Jesus Christ. And he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This new covenant comes with a transformed heart that would desire to walk in God's ways. And you know why it's possible? Because the weight of this yoke was placed upon the cross. And there it hangs. And so I can walk in a relationship with God, and that yoke is easy. That burden is light because Jesus 
paid it all. That's what's available to us today, is the yoke of Jesus. But here's the painful truth. If you want that yoke, you have to die to yourself. The world doesn't want to hear that. I mean, let's face it, we don't want to hear that. I want to do things my way. I get caught up in worldly pleasures. Meanwhile, God's saying, I've got a path. I have something for you that's so much greater than what the world offers. But to truly taste those things, we have to die to ourselves. And then we take on the yoke of Jesus. And I'm telling you right now, I'm testifying this to you in my own life. When you die to yourself and ask Jesus to have your life, I'm so thankful for his yoke. Because the yoke that I was wearing when I was living for myself is just a struggle. When we reject the light yoke of God's will, we end up wearing a heavier yoke of our own making. So I want to invite you, come to Jesus. All who are weary and heavy laden, come to Jesus. And may the Holy Spirit guide us in how we should test the teaching that's out there, the messages that people give. May the Lord guide us in the words that we say. May our words be genuine and true as we minister to those around us. Would you pray with me as we close? Father, I thank you for this time in your word. I thank you for your new covenant that comes through Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed on the cross to pay for the penalty and the price of our sin. To have salvation in our life, we must be yoked with Jesus. We must come to him and surrender our lives. Say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I want you to be Lord of my life. If there's anyone listening right now that would desire to come to Christ in that manner, I want to lead you in this prayer this prayer of repentance and this trusting in Jesus. Simply pray with me in your heart and say, Lord Jesus, I come to you burdened and heavy laden with sin and with this life, and I need you. I come to you asking for forgiveness of my sin. And I'm asking today in faith that you would make me a new person, that you would come into my life, that you would save me and redeem me. I put my trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sin and for the future as I live out this life here on earth. And also having the hope that there's a place in heaven 
that I will get to spend eternity with you when my days on earth are done. Thank you for saving me. And Father, for all of us as we respond to your word today, I pray, Lord, you would give us wisdom to know what truth is. There are so many lies that are out there in the world. Help us to know our identity in Christ and the things you desire us to be doing. As each day is a gift from above, let us not let it go to waste. Show us who we can speak truth into with grace. And I pray, Father, that we would be able to speak in ways that would not be contrary to your word and to your heartbeat, but that would be just complete truth as we open our mouths. May only your words come out. Lord, thank you for this time in your word. In Jesus' name.